you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy Hellman. hi everybody i am so excited to be back with you again this week i'm extra excited because i'm joined by a very special meaningful guest to me now you all know him you know him, you love him, but I know him differently. He's the reason, like the entire reason I'm an interior designer today. And so I'm excited to welcome Tom Felicia to the show. Of course, you know him as the original designer. Hey, Betsy, how are you? Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, you don't need an introduction, but, you know, I'll You're let very you sweet, know. but first of all, I, I, I thank you. That's very sweet. But I wanted... I want to tell everybody before you even introduce me that you, it's really great to see you. You, um, you have done so many amazing things. I know you're in your lake house right now, which is so cool. And you have your, your business is flourishing and that's really awesome. And that, you know, you worked at uh, Tom Felicia Incorporated years ago, and I know that you look fabulous and you're, you're doing all of these amazing things and I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to catch up. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, I worked at your firm as an intern back in 2002. And I was design curious, you know, like yeah. I had seen it on TV. I was so impressed by everything that you did. But, you know, when you're young, I was young. Uh, er. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you're young, I think I was 23 at that time, 22. Um, I was just trying stuff out. Had no clue that this would be something I'd want to pursue as a career. Never went to interior right. design school. And you guys really took a chance on me. And the amount of access I got to look at projects, to see what you were doing, to peek behind the scenes was so inspiring. And I yeah. would say my life would have taken a different turn. I would not yeah. firm, have a podcast, have two books, everything like that without you guys saying yes. Well, that's, first of all, thank you. That's really generous and kind of you to say. Secondly, um, I really believe in internships. I really do. It's something that I was an intern when I was younger at Parrish Hadley. Um, and I was there for a summer and then I went back another time in the winter and then they hired me out of school. So the power of an internship is so important because it really helps um, young people sort of figure out 
what they want to do and what they want to do in that space. And, you know, it just gives you um, perspective on a situation that is generally theoretical to you at that point, you know, and, um, and it gives you hands-on experience. And I think it creates confidence in young people, especially when um, I had an intern with me the other day and we were shopping for fabrics and she picked a fabric out and I was like, I really liked the fabric that she chose and I made a big deal out of it because I wanted her to feel that because I remember feeling that when I was her age, when somebody, you know, explained to me that that was, you know, a good thing. And it gave me the confidence to, to then sort of have the ability to sort of choose things and show them to people that might be intimidating to, to that young person. And that, you know what I mean? So, so I really understand the power of the internship and I really respect it. And I think that it's something that, you know, I, whenever I'm talking to young people, I always say, you know, please, 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 whatever it is you're studying, you know, offer to work, not for free, but offer to work um, and basically do anything for someone who do you think does something that you that you could potentially be interested in because it's a great learning experience. And if you're really on it, like you were as an intern, um, you're, you bring a lot of, uh, you know, you bring a lot to the table. It's amazing because, you know, we're always looking for someone to jump in and be hands-on and, we've hired a lot of young people, not then when you were there because we were a much smaller company, but now when we bring interns in, we kind of use it as a testing ground, you know? And it's like, if someone just kind of comes in and what, what can I do? How can I be helpful? What do you need me to do? We're like, we sign them up, like, you know, for, for more than just internship, because that's really what we're looking for is people that have the ability to kind of make it happen right. and want and promote from the inside, you know, seeing what yeah. people are capable yeah. of, seeing how they kind yeah. of chemistry. But, you yeah. know, that was a little glimpse into my origin story. And today I want to get a glimpse into your origin story because so many of the listeners are thinking about this as a career or maybe even a second career, right? And so they're wondering, what does it feel like to want to be an interior designer? So when did you first realize that interior design might be your path? When was that sort of spark? Well, you know, so when I was about, um, gosh, I think when I was in elementary school, um, I was in fifth grade and my school teacher, Mrs. Chamberlain, uh, went away on vacation. And as all elementary school kids do, or at least did back in the day, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they're probably more, they're probably better behaved today, but we would tell the substitute teacher a list of things that we we're allowed to do, you know, come and go at our leisure, go to the bathroom whenever we want, draw on our desks, you know, all the stuff that we we're really not supposed to be doing. Right. So I, and of course they don't believe you, but so I was drawing on my desk for literally the entire week that Mrs. Chamberlain was gone. And I was, I was drawing a house. And every day I would add on to it and keep adding and keep adding. And so when she returned on that following Monday or Tuesday, whenever she got back, I obviously was, you know, I was, it was, it was, a, it was the entire desktop, like was a house. And it just kept rambling and going and going. And it was really awesome. I, I wish I still had the photo of it today. It was really, really amazing because it was kind of like an 
Escher meets like a traditional shingle style house almost. Um, or, you know, but anyways, so, and I was in fifth grade, so it's kind of amazing that it was even something that was in my brain, but, and I was putting it onto a surface, but so the teacher comes back and obviously I'm in trouble and I'm told the principal's going to come up and have a word with me because after class, after school, like I had to stay after you know, everyone went home and I had to talk to the principal and, you know, so he came, Mr. Byer came up and said, Tom, you know, this is not, you're not supposed to do this. This is like, you know, really bad. This is like, you know, defacing property and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, you know, whatever. I'm sorry. I didn't, I just, I'm sorry. I did it. And they were like, no, you have to erase this and write like a million times on the blackboard. I will not draw my desk or something like that. And, but before they did that, they took a picture of me next to it with the principal. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. There's something in here that's good because they would never have me take a picture of me next to it with the principal. Cause they were like, damn, this is like, you know, they were kind of like, this is a good thing, you know? Yeah. But they had to, they, you can't say that because it's, right. you know, it, I didn't do it on paper. So it had to be kind of, you know, a bad thing. So anyway, so I, I kind of realized, I was like, wow, this is cool. And, and I could tell that they were like, disappointed that I chose to draw my desk, but kind of impressed with what I did. So it made it that much more kind of important to me. And I started drawing houses all the time. And, and then I started doing layouts and my father was an engineer. Um, and he taught me how to draft and gave me like drafting tools and a T square and all that kind of stuff. And so I was kind of learning how to do all that. And then in sixth grade, there was a girl named Julie Banks and myself and we both wanted to be architects at this point. And we started designing houses and uh, Mr. Byer would put them up because we did them on paper on the bulletin board in front of his office and for everybody to see because he wow. thought they were. So it was like a really like, I, I was like the kid that failed every spelling bee and like couldn't, with math was not my thing. So I, to be on the, the principal's bulletin board was something that was new to me because I was never like the winner of the spelling bee. So anyways, so this was like, I was like, you know, it was like being on the front cover of the New York Times in elementary school, being on that bulletin board. So that's when I really started to realize I wanted to go into design and architecture. And I really specifically wanted to design homes. Well, that kind of led into a series of, you know, just like I, I worked, I went to an architect that lived in my neighborhood's office for the day. And then I, you know, we had to research in like seventh grade about careers that we liked. So I re researched all about how, you know, architects and what they do and you to get up in front of the class and explain what they do and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of lasted with me until right through college. I mean, right through high school. And I was in advanced art class. That's another thing that I was in sixth grade. I was then put into an advanced art class. And, um, and I kind of stayed in that space all through middle school and high school where I was, you know, I was taking, you know, drawing classes and like in reduced art classes with a smaller group and uh, a little bit more advanced in terms of what they were asking us to do and sort of building a portfolio for for my, for my, you know, for to go to college. And um, so that's how I found design. And I think that, 
you know, I, I was I was just always my head was in that space. When I would go into rooms when I was a kid, I lived in a neighborhood where a lot of the houses were built turn of the century to the 1920s, maybe 1930s. So they were kind of like cool, interesting. I love it. And there were some sprinkled in modern houses too. And, you know, I just, I thought that everybody knew like, oh my God, like, like your staircase, like I knew every detail. Like I knew where people had milk boxes built into their houses or coal chutes or where they had skylights or where they had, you know, just like any weird, like, you know what I mean? Like I just knew details and I would say, oh, it's up near the, you know, the whatever. And, and kids would be like, what? And then when I went to summer camp, we had Vespers at night and I would literally tell kids in the dark to describe the front of their house. And I would tell them the floor plan, the layout of their house. Oh my God. So like, so like that's just where my brain was. Like You were like I, a ghost hunter, psychic. Yeah. 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 So it was a little like, it's a little funny, you know, that I just, it's the way my brain works. I assumed everybody's brain worked that way. I kind of look at the world as a blueprint, you know, like I see neighborhoods as a blueprint, uh, as a plan, you know? And so it's very hard for me to get lost. Um, I go into a house and I can remember the layout almost to the point where I can draw it very like without measuring. And I'm pretty good at like getting the proportion and scale down. Um, so it's just the way my brain has always worked. And I, I think I was lucky that I had a mom and a dad who were pretty supportive of like, kind of like find what you love and kind of just like run with it. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, you know, they were like, that's cool. Like, you know, you're going to be an architect, you know, they were like, that's yeah, great. Where did it turn? Cause all this stuff from the Vespers to the drawings, I'm like, so architecture, right? Yeah. How did that segue? Was it the math that made you switch over? Even though interior design has tons of math. I do math. Like well, that. you know, I think it was just that that at that age, I think in architect was kind of what, if I didn't understand the nuance between architecture and interior design, I just thought an architect, you know what I mean? Like designs everything in the house. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So mm -hmm. I just saw that as like, you design, you pick out the land, you design the house, you build the house, you make it look great on the inside. Or maybe I even thought that that was just like the people did that, like that was their stuff. And uh, so, no, but it was like, my first go-to was architect. And I think, you know, probably because it was the most professional of the occupations at that time. I mean, it was 1975 or 76, or I would, what's, I don't know what year I was in. Uh, for, no, no, no. That would be like 1980, I guess. So, yeah. So, I mean, I just think in 1980, it was like, you know, if a young boy said he liked designing houses, I think the first stop was architecture. And then if, you know, and I think that's, and it's probably still true today at some level, but I do think that architecture and design now are equally professional. I think back in the, like the olden days, <laughs> interior designers were kind of like self-proclaimed professionals. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. It wasn't right. as much of a professional industry. It was like, oh, this really beautiful woman who lives in our neighborhood, who whose husband owns like a law firm, she decorates everybody's houses. And like, cause right. she has, when she's not having lunch at the country club, that's what she does. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, fabulous. She knows everybody. She knows how to get stuff. She's got great style. That's what she does. I think that's kind of like who my mother used 
to help with like reupholstery and carpets and whatever window treatments and you know curtains and things like that so i think that's kind of how it worked back then or certainly in you know suburban environments you know but i think there was a little bit of that sort of like it, i don't know if it was a real profession yet so yeah. i think kids were can kind of geared towards go to school to be an architect. And if you decide you want to be a designer and focus on interior design, you can always do that, but get that degree. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. And a lot of schools didn't really offer interior design. It was a pretty much a niche uh, degree at that point. You know, it was like, I remember looking at colleges and it was, you know, complicated to find a school that I liked and had interior design Mm. because I didn't want to go to necessarily an art school and a lot of the schools that I thought were cool. Like I wanted to go to Hobart and they didn't have interior design. Now they have an amazing interior design program, but they didn't have it back in the day. And I'm so glad I didn't go there because Syracuse university was such a better choice for me. However, it was, it was definitely, restricted in terms of finding schools that had a professional like a program for interior design you right. know it was like maybe that an art program and that you could focus on like and then go work for an interior designer but it was still quite limited so I think that's why and um but I followed it I was definitely um I followed that I, I went and looked at schools and the reason I went from architecture to interior design is when I went and looked at schools, I remember when I went to Syracuse University and I walked through the architecture department, I was like, this is so amazing. And I couldn't believe how cool it was. And then I talked to some of the architects and they said, they never leave their studio. I said, are you in a fraternity? No, we never leave our studio. I was like, that sucks. I don't know if I can handle that. Cause I was all like ready planning on like, what was, what was my favorite bar and where I was going to hang out the most and I had a fake ID. I was like already moving. <laughs> so I was like, this is going to be a problem. This is a social play. Yeah, uh, this, yeah. I was like, look, we got to come out of this education thing with a good social foundation as well as, you know, some, some knowledge, but you know, I don't think it should be lopsided either, either way. It's called, it's called balance. And I use that in design every day, but I will say that when I went into the interiors department, I walked in and I thought, oh my God, 
this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what I want to do because it was architecture kind of mixed with sort of interiors and everyone that was in that space was like, they said it would, they loved their program and it was so much fun. And everybody that was in it was like, it was like, literally it was like 18 women and one guy. And, uh, and he was actually one guy who got kicked out of the architecture program. <laughs> that was it. But he partied too much. Partied. It was me and one guy that got kicked out of the architecture program and like 18 girls. And, um, but I, it was just like, it was, we were all pretty close and it was like, we were in it together. It was like the architecture school was like 300 kids, you know, in like the freshman class and the professor's goal were to like, torture these people to the point where some of them just left or would they were trying to get rid of the interior design program was like a nurturing different environment it was Mm -hmm. just like they didn't want to lose you and they wanted you to be there and they wanted to guide you through the process and they wanted you to be happy and so it was just like I really enjoyed my my education like I really enjoyed it like I I've actually gone back as a visiting professor um I received an award from my school called the Aarons Award. Um, I, you know, so I'm really connected to the school that I went to. I feel like it's exactly where I needed to go at that time because it was, it had everything that I wanted. It was, it was the art school was amazing. The design school was amazing. My program was fabulous. And, um, and I was in a university, so I was able to have friends that were studying business and, dance and theater and graphic design and architecture, economics, political science. I was in a fraternity, which was really important to me back then. And now I look at it and go, why was that so important? But I think a lot of that was great because so many of my clients are people that were in the Greek system, you know, or like people that were in the Greek system. So being able to really like communicate and, and, and have like a lot in common with that demographic is really important, you know? And so for me, um, I've always gotten as like, you know, someone that works in television and was on, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. I was always told like, you remind us of our best friend who's gay or our best friend who came out or, you know, so that was always kind of where I landed. And I think a lot of that was because I was that gay guy that was like, you know, in a fraternity and going to sorority events and, you know, just kind of a part of that. And at the same time in the art school, going to off-campus parties and like, you know, like, you you know, everyone's painting the walls and getting drunk and being, you know, artists. And so having juxtaposition of both of those things and feeling sort of comfortable and, you know, feeling like I belonged in both naturally. And that was great because it's just, it's allowed me to navigate many different you know, types of environments, I think. Of course. Yeah. Cause you kind of were accepted, felt at home, felt organically aligned with both types of people. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. know, it sounds like from listening to your story that all the chips sort of fell in line, that it was a clear path for you with sort of no distraction. But once you started becoming a designer, once you started taking clients, what would you say was the most difficult or discouraging part? Because, you know, so many people I talked yeah. to 
want to be designers. They feel the pull and then they have those first issues, those first projects. It's such a great question. I have to tell you, nobody has ever asked me this question. So I love, I love this question and I have such a real answer for you. So I was working at Parrish Hadley as an intern. And then um, I was very lucky that David Kleinberg asked me to come back and do some work for him over the Christmas holiday. I was in California with my family and then I was in New York and then I went back up to Syracuse uh, and then went to school. So I worked with David uh, in his office, helping organize stuff and doing things after my summer internship. And then when I went back to school, they invited me to, you know, uh, come and work at the firm and help them with some projects they were working on, like a book and furniture and blah, 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 blah. So, and I was drafting for them and I was helping out doing drafting in the, in the architecture department, which was really awesome and amazing because learning the way that they do furniture plans and, and all of those details was really amazing. But the thing that really kind of, I don't know if it, you know, so I was working for the 1% of the 1%. Our clients were the Gettys, the Rockefellers, the, you know, the just recognizable American names like Getty Gas, the Gettys, you know, uh, uh, Babe Paley, Paley, you know, like, you know, he, he was a big mover and shaker in Hollywood. Like all of these people were like the list of clients on all of the drawings. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like insane, you know? Yeah. But we're working for the 1% of the 1%, kind of. And then I went and worked for Robert Metzger. And then it was kind of like the same thing, but a lot of like very well-known Jewish families in New York City and all over the country, because, you know, that's kind of was his clientele. So it's sort of interesting. And um, and then I worked for Jeffrey Bill Huber, and he was working for Givenchy and like fashion people and like people at like supermodels and stuff like that. So it was like each thing was so different, but everybody had full access and everybody was like by industry standards, the 1% of the 1% kind of, you know what I mean? Like Givenchy is like not waiting in line for a reservation in a restaurant and, you know, and, and Naomi Campbell or whoever, these are the kind of people that all these companies, you know, were, you know, working with. And so you're, you're my, my one thing was, I was just like, I just felt like I was a part of a generation where design was starting to be like something that was for everybody. Target was a thing that was kind of happening. Um, There were things like, um, you know, uh, Crate and Barrel became like a big, big kind of thing where their products started getting like surprisingly sophisticated and cool compared to what they used to be. They used to look like a crate and actually a barrel. (laughs) And now they look like kind of like almost like Holly Hunt, you know, Holly Hunt. And so I was like, wow, this is, the world is changing. Like things are, design is not just for the 1% of the 1% anymore. And I have to say, I was discouraged that I went to school and I was really into design as a concept. And, you know, I studied Frank Lloyd Wright when he was doing homes that were for the, for, for the people or, you know, for, for not for the super rich. And, you know, Volkswagen was a car that I thought was so interesting because it was like a car for the people, but it was like thoughtful and smart. And, and, you know, and, and so it was the car that I had in college. I had a Jetta at this time. And so 
I was like, wow. I'm like, you know, so going into the real world, I was like, you know, I felt like interior design was a little behind the times in terms of being uh, designed for everybody. It was definitely designed for the 1% of the 1% or certainly the 1%. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Or aspirationally the 1%. But there was nobody, it was not for everybody. And, um, and the design community was not really open. They were like, crate and barrel. I would never, you know what I mean? And these are, these are men, gay men that live in studio apartments that work at a design firm. And they're like, I would never. And I'm like, really? I think it looks amazing. Like, why would you never, like, you could totally mix that in. It would look amazing. Like it was just more about like, it became more about the pretension and sort of the, the, you know, it was, it, it was an old school pretentious business. And I was bummed out that the career path that I chose was not, I don't know that it didn't feel, it didn't feel fair and mm -hmm. it didn't feel, it didn't feel up to date and it didn't feel cool. And that's what I was kind of bummed out about. And I saw people like Jeffrey Bill Huber and Arrow Studios and other people doing things that I was like, these guys are cool. They're mixing like mid-century like garbage that they would fix up and they would like, they'd find a garbage can and they would be like, it's Dunbar and they'd paint it and fix it up and they'd sell it for a lot of money and mix it with other things that were like very qualified and we all knew what they were, but then they would also mix it with like modern stuff and contemporary stuff. And I was like, this is cool. Okay. And it felt, it felt more like, it started to open up the idea that like the mix of high, medium and low, but done in a stylish way was just as like valuable as just really expensive things. And that was a big deal for me. And then I started watching TV shows like design on a dime or like, or like there was one that was like, where you would leave and your neighbors would decorate trading your spaces. house. Trading spaces. What, trading spaces. And they would always do like some weird ass, like put grass on the wall because she loves her lawn. And I'm like, that is the dumbest thing ever. But as much as I didn't love the shows and I didn't, you know, they were usually like an ex model who couldn't model anymore. was now like the host and knows nothing about design. And you know what I mean? And it was like, it wasn't really design driven. It was like, it was about design, but it was like not really real design. It was like, it was kind of gimmicky kind of, crappy design, but it was fun and it was relevant and it made people start to like design. And it also invited people into the design conversation that were never invited before that were just like a young couple, you know, living in, you know, in Chicago watching, you know, this where they're excited, you know, cause they're like just bought their first apartment and don't have a lot of money to spend. And so all of a sudden that demographic was invited into the interior design conversation. And so I was like, I think that's so cool. And that's why when Queer Eye became an, a possibility for me to be involved with, I was like, I'm gonna do this because I have people who are very wealthy asking me to decorate their houses like once every other week. I'd never have anybody asking me to work in a new medium that feels like the future of like design starting to become a little bit more of a conversation for everybody, not just for the 1%. And I was like, and I would like to be a part of that movement. And that was something that I was excited about. 
And it was the thing that disappointed me the most about the industry that I chose. Well, and I think that evolution is still happening. I see, a, you know, I have affordable interior design. So mm-hmm. I love shopping at Target, Ikea, sales yeah. section. Um, and certainly affordable has this huge range these days. And now things are available that were so exclusive before, only yeah. designers, yeah. right? And yeah. so I think that evolution is still happening because people definitely look down on me in the industry. You know, I don't mark things up. I work a different way. And they're still holding on to that. My conversation with Tom was so exciting and so action-packed that we had to divide this episode into two. So check in again next week where you will find part two of my conversation with Tom Felicia. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, You're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.